0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnstos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends
0: ever since. So we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other.
1: And in our 30s, we got married.
0: Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We
1: want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other
0: average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts.
1: And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: (laughs) So welcome to Apparently. We
2: make it look easy. We make it look good.
1: Apparently infertility affects more people than we know. Did you know that according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 7.3 million Americans have used infertility
0: services? That's a lot.
1: That's a lot. And I think infertility is often a misunderstood condition and one that maybe we need to talk about and discuss.
0: Yeah, because by talking openly and honestly, um, maybe we can provide couples the opportunity to share with their family and friends. Um, You know, we want to provide support. Uh, As people struggle.
1: Correct. And it's even more poignant this week because it is National Infertility Week. So it's just giving a a platform for us to discuss. Um, You know, we have two kids. You have two kids. Um, But I have had friends who suffered from infertility. And I have seen firsthand it is a tremendous stressor and burden, both with your partner, but Mm. then in your family. Um, And it's an uncomfortable topic I think, and maybe by talking about it more openly, maybe it wouldn't be so squishy and uncomfortable or stressful. Yes. Um, It's stressful both for the couple and for family, the surrounding loved ones and friends, because I'll be honest, I don't always know what to say or do or to comfort Mm -hmm. our loved ones about it. Um, And it's not like I haven't cared about their situation. I just don't know how to to support them properly and how to um the right things to say or do right because in those. i think so
0: often we say the wrong things right
1: yeah or we don't say anything at all which comes off as like callous like we don't care but it's really because i, I don't know what to say mm-hmm. <laughs> so i don't want to sound like a dummy so i did not have infertility challenges but i've had plenty of friends that did and as we got older Um, You know, you and I both had kids around the same time. It was really difficult to manage some of these relationships because as someone who didn't struggle, I felt really bad for those that did. Um, And in a way, maybe a little bit guilty Mm -hmm. about it because... I personally, when I was, when I got married, I was really excited to have kids and start a family and, you know, not everyone gets married and has kids, but that was our goal and we wanted to, to raise a family. So, um, we didn't have that stress, stressful start to our marriage. Sure. Um, but that isn't true for everybody. And I've had friends that have to go to multiple, um, baby showers Mm -hmm. and, uh, birthdays and baptisms, and I one particular friend in particular, it's very it's very traumatic for them to continually go and put on that smiley face when they're just dying to have a baby.
0: Right, right. So you didn't have trouble. No, I didn't have uh, any issues conceiving the first time, but after Sophie was born, um, we had a miscarriage, and I remember then being. Not not just wanting a second child, but like being desperate to have a second child, right? Like I needed to replace not that I can you can replace anything, but um and I do remember like so you were talking about the you know, uh constant reminders, right? Um everywhere I looked I saw pregnant people and yeah you were one of them. Because you were pregnant with Ethan, and Sarah was one of them. She was pregnant well, with her firstborn. Uh, Sarah's your sister. Um, <laughs> my sister was one of them, like you know, every like seriously, everywhere I looked, right. And I kept feeling like there was something missing from me or that it was my fault. And also, like just for the record, when you're trying and trying and trying, it is not romantic. No. No. That's no. not yeah, no. So that was like there there was a real stress. Um just try you know, like making it clinical in in a way. And so luckily we were able to, you know, get our second one. But um Did you know that I had a miscarriage? You did? I did before before Kate. I didn't yeah.
1: I don't think I knew I that. I was in Denver. Ah. Oh. I did. But um, so that, there's a loss there. I mean, when you're trying, but it ultimately worked out, you know, obviously, because we're it,
0: here having a parenting podcast. <laughs> but that is true. Either that or we're totally lying yeah. all the time. Fakers. Yeah. Um, You know, but it's interesting, too, though, when you ha- when you have a pregnancy after a miscarriage, I've, I found that I was fearful all the time because I was waiting for another miscarriage.
1: Oh, OK. So did you? I don't remember. I don't remember that. OK. I mean, pro- I'm sure I did. Um, but it ultimately was a successful birth, obviously.
0: Yeah. She just <laughs> turned
1: 13. She,
0: she's a teenager.
1: So, um, but oh. I do know that it, I just just from talking with my one friend in particular, um, I didn't think about it when you want to include your your, your friends at these joyous things, like right. bring, asking them to come to the birthday party or the baptism or baby shower. But at the same time, like you're not thinking... It's not like you shouldn't not invite them, but at the same time I I, I heard it out of her mouth and it made me think, Oh You're right. gosh, I didn't I didn't think
0: about it like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Oops. And so I thought, well, hey, let's bring in somebody to talk about it because it is an awareness week with National Infertility Week. We're bringing in Rebecca Flick. She is the vice president of communications and programs for RESOLVE, which is the National Infertility Association, to come on and talk to us about this important week. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you both for having me. So could you tell us a little bit about your organization, RESOLVE, and how it got started?
2: Sure. So Resolve was founded in 1974 um, by a woman who, a nurse who was experiencing her own infertility. Her name is Barbara Eck. And she founded the first support group around her kitchen table. And she saw the need for support. Um, And to give you some context, this was before even the very first IVF baby was born in the U.S. So she was gathering um, uh, women who were going through infertility. Uh, around her kitchen table and started support groups, and um, in 2005, the organization moved from uh, its founding state in Massachusetts to outside the Washington, D.C. area, so we could focus more on um, policies that impact people with infertility, and we've uh, continued to carry the mission that we were founded on for support and awareness and advocacy. And today we have close to 300 support groups nationwide. Wow. uh, Face-to-face, peer-to-peer support is not dead, even though the Internet would like you to think it is. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a very strong advocacy program, both uh, with state and federal policies. And then we founded um, National Infertility Awareness Week in 1989. So, what's the goal
0: of the National Infertility uh, Awareness Week? Is it just is it to destigmatize? Is it to uh, gain more funds? Is it what are you hoping to achieve?
2: As the organization uh, that founded this, we create the platform for the community to um, take the movement public, and we believe that when there is public awareness around. A disease like infertility um, or other family building challenges um, that you remove stigma and when you remove stigma around something that's so complicated and people don't understand like you were just talking about uh, you're also going to remove barriers and there are a lot of barriers that people who struggle to build a family face when it comes to all of the options um, that there are in today's amazing medical world Uh, but there are a lot of barriers there's a lot of religious barriers So we kind of use this week um, and and every day of the year to help uh, educate the public and reduce the stigma around infertility. Sure. Medically
1: speaking, what does infertility mean? Like, Ann and I just talked about our own miscarriages. Um, Mm -hmm. Is it it multiple miscarriages? Is it um, just not even, you know, what is infertility technically
2: speaking? Sure. So the medical diagnosis... Uh, is the uh, inability to achieve a pregnancy, um, and if you're under 35, that's within 12 months of trying to conceive, and if you're over 35, their time is reduced to six months. Also within the definition is if you have more than two uh, concurrent miscarriages, so that there's there were, there was no live birth in between the miscarriages, that's also a form of infertility. So miscarriage is definitely part of the discussion.
0: Okay. Oh, that's good to know. And I I think we're going to talk a little bit about um some of our friends and their experiences, but but I wanted to ask you too about the extreme cases that we hear about, you know, um even my my daughters now know about octomom. I don't know how they found that. I I, I blame the Google. Um <laughs> but I read one in 8 couples or 12% of married women have trouble getting pregnant or sustaining a pregnancy. Is infertility attributed to the female or or is it men too.
2: So, you know, we, we, we put a lot of focus on the female side of the partner because they are going, they're the ones trying to achieve the pregnancy, they're the body that's going to carry the pregnancy, and then ultimately undergo the medical treatments associated with trying to get pregnant. But when you look at the diagnosis, 30% of infertility cases are female-related, meaning there's a, f- a function issue with either the ovaries, fallopian tubes, uterus, uh, egg quality, Um, a number of things, 30% of the time, it's male driven. um, And then the rest of the cases are unexplained or some impact of of both male and female. So it's more unexplained. It is just there's there's no everything, all the tests have come back, everything appears to be healthy and in working order. And yet infertility is still there.
0: But so it's pretty even. So it's not, you know, because I feel like women Mm -hmm. feel that it's their fault more than men do.
2: Yes, and and they're always the first line of defense, so to speak, because they're the ones that are at their OBGYN. They're the ones that are trying to get pregnant, so they're going to talk about it first. They're going to um, be looked at first. Uh, And then if if the all clear is there, you know, on the female side, then they start looking into the male. And, you know, we we kind of encourage people who are struggling to conceive that, you know, a, a sperm test. I, I will be honest. The sperm test is a lot easier to go through for the men than everything else that some women have to go to go through. So, Amen. Um, definitely bring your partner into the conversation as early as as you can.
1: Okay. Do most couples that have infertility issues seek intervention or help? Is it is it possible to track that? I'm jumping the gun here a little bit, but like if if you're after a year and you are unsuccessful do do most women go forward
2: and try to look in alternatives I would say no um, I don't we don't have any hard hard data but um, our years in this in this space and our close partnership with the medical community uh, we know very much that uh, it, this is an underutilized um, medical treatment and a lot of that has to do with um, access to insurance coverage people automatically rule it out because they don't have insurance coverage for it and there's just not something that they can afford. Also, there's there could be a lot of stigma with having to go um, through or see a specialist. And also, too, I think there's um, a, a big myth that people don't understand that just because you go and see a reproductive endocrinologist, which is a fertility specialist, it doesn't always mean IVF. What are the options? Because I know I
0: have a friend who uh, she took a medicine called Clomid, and um, I think that mm-hmm. helps release eggs. I have another friend who tried three times with an IUI, and I don't know what that means, and, oh, I, and then she is. moved on to IVF. So can you explain, let's pretend, um, so Tracy and I are older than 35, so let's <laughs> pretend it's been six months and I have not conceived. What are what are the options in a typical way um, that I could take?
2: So it's definitely going to depend on what the condition is, Um that is causing the infertility. So there's no there's no roadmap. A lot of people are like, oh, first you you know take the clomid, and then if that doesn't work, you take you try the IUI. And IUI is intrauterine insemination, um, where they uh, stimulate the ovaries and inject the sperm right to the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no process like IVF, which is you retrieve the eggs from. The woman's stimulated ovaries, the male provides a sperm sample, you mix this, I'm being very basic here, but you mix this together in a petri dish and you uh, hope that embryos are created out of there. And then with you and your doctor, you choose, um, you know, placing an embryo back into the female and then hopefully it implants and there's a pregnancy. So there's a variety of things. It's going to depend, depend on your diagnosis. For example, I was not a candidate. For IUI. It wasn't even an option for me. So we went straight to IVF.
0: Why would that happen? Was it, and I don't want to be too personal, but like, uh, but, <laughs> oh, no, my, no I have several friends who did the IUI and they were like, I have to try this three times, but I know it's not going to work. Like they were pretty much um, sure. Because it was driven by in- their insurance coverage, probably. Okay. Oh
2: my gosh. So, so often insurance plans have those kind of uh, restrictions where they're going to try something that's less sure uh less effective and less expensive yeah. and you have to try and fail so could you imagine that like you are being told you have to and my insurance plan did this and I when we we fought it i couldn't produce eggs i was t- 30 mm-hmm. um i had the ovaries probably of you know 45 47 year old um and i couldn't even produce the eggs without major stimulation in order to go through any, you know, the IUI, my insurance plan also said they wouldn't cover IVF until I'd had three miscarriages. Oh my so could you imagine if I could get pregnant, I would have to experience a miscarriage three times. That's, and that's, that's brutal. My insurance coverage. Would, yes, it's, 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 yes, it's painful. And these are the barriers that are out there for millions and millions of people. Um, and so, what our advice would be to anybody listening is that you, you need to look at this as a course of treatment. If there is something going on, you have to find out what it is, and then you sit down with a specialist. Um, you know, I think there's also a comfort level that people have with their OBGYNs. Uh if they've been there a long time and you know, that's what the OBGYN focuses on, especially if they've maybe delivered a baby through their OBGYN before and this is a secondary infertility issue, there's a trust level there. But if you had a disease like diabetes or if you found out you had cancer, you would go to a specialist Mm -hmm. and reproductive endocrinologists are there to help treat your infertility Um, and they can find out what's going on, help you understand it. And then you decide on your course of treatment. Sure.
1: Do states have insurance or coverage mandates to help cover the costs? Like if some states like better than others to live in, to be supported like that. I remember one friend going to Colorado now. I don't know why she went to Colorado. I mean, I know why she was going to a a fertility specialist there, and I don't know if it was an insurance thing or if that's who she thought was the best, but that's off top. (laughs) But is there, is there like insurance, when you talk about insurance, is there a state level that it it depends on where you live, what your coverage is like? Yes.
2: Yes. Very much so. There are only... Sorry, I'm scrolling through our website right now because <laughs> we have all of this information by state on there. Um, there are t- different types of insurance mandates, some mandate to cover, some mandate to offer. Um, you have the top level of insurance mandates are in states like Illinois and Massachusetts. Um, New York just passed um, through the governor's budget a phenomenal update to their insurance law that will take place in 2020. And so uh, you really have to understand what your state laws are um, to see if you're covered in any way. But so often self-insured plans are opted out of these laws and self-insured are uh, are usually large employers. So there are a couple ways that you can go about getting insurance coverage for infertility. One is if understand your state mandate and where you fall into that. Another way is to um, go directly to your employer and ask for it. And we have an entire toolkit on resolve.org that walks you through the steps, gives you all the information you need, gives you a letter template, gives you all the stats, talks about how important this coverage is. And we did a study um, about a year ago that showed that people who had insurance coverage through their employer felt valued and felt more connected to that employer than those that don't. Absolutely. So for, any employers listening out there, uh, it's, it's not a huge expense. It makes a world of difference in someone's life who's going through this because they have that, they have that coverage. They have that sense of ease that there are going to be so many barriers in front of them to achieving their resolution and, and getting to the parenthood that they want that taking the cost barrier away from them, it, 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 it's life-changing.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 stressful enough when it it doesn't work every month that you try. But then when you consider like the financial like so not only is there like your your partner, your relationship with your partner is strained, but also like a financial strain cuz you both want it, but gosh, you can't it's it's money's tight and you can't do it. You just can't afford it. You want it so bad, but you it's cost prohibitive.
2: Yes. And yes, Resolve never says that um, IVF is expensive because it's uninsured. It's uncovered. It's cost prohibitive, just like what you just said, because if you were to break down the cost of delivering your pregnancy, you would say if it wasn't covered by insurance, you would say, oh, that was expensive. Right. So we know a lot about um, things that are cut. We don't know the cost of things that are covered. And uh, the average cost of an IVF cycle in the U.S. is $12,500. Twelve thousand five hundred dollars. If you're looking at this as a course of treatment and say you need two or three to achieve your pregnancy, you know it's thirty six, thirty seven thousand dollars. So I don't know any. I don't know many people that when they start to get pregnant say, oh, let's get that saving started. We might need thirty seven thousand dollars to have a baby.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I do remember when we got the bill for my firstborn and what we paid versus what, and I was hospitalized for. It was a long story, uh, but we paid minimally compared to what the hospital charged. I mean, it was more than $100,000. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, what if we hadn't been insured?
2: Yeah. Right. And, and you know, people that go through infertility treatments um, who don't have insurance covers can sometimes make risky choices because they they know that they may only have one or two shots at this. So they might be um, taking risks like, the you know, multiple embryos right. and, you know, and putting themselves at a high-risk pregnancy or you know, high-risk twins. I'm not, I'm not at all judging anybody who makes those decisions, but I think when you're looking, talking about it from a perspective of you know, what can insurance coverage do for someone with infertility, it, can, it, it helps them and their doctor be able to make choices based on what they have available in their coverage, not what they have available in their bank account. So right. Right. I think um, that's helpful.
0: I have a friend who's going through this right now and and they will only implant one egg or one embryo at a time because of that they don't, you know but mm-hmm. she but she's covered. So um yep. they and they do genetic testing and I mean there are so many layers to it but um I can imagine you know putting 3 in or 4 in because you're hoping one will survive and then what what are the odds mm-hmm. that you get 4 and how does that impact you?
2: Right. And the cost of high order multiples is far more costly on um hospitals and insurance companies than covering IVF. Sure. So as an
0: organization, how do you help couples manage the stress? Like, you know, are there, certainly there's the medical side of of treatments, um, but do you have advice for people who are, you know, going through this and looking at each other, you know, with stress and fear and uh, a little bit of
2: despair? Yes, so that's really why we continue the support groups Uh in communities all over the country um, is because, and and a lot of them are um, male and female support groups. So Mm -hmm. couples are going together and they can walk into a room and they can feel like everyone in this room will get me. There's no judgment and it takes a bit of uh, stress off the whole process. Um, They they also, when you connect with people who um, either have been through this or are going through it, you might look at other options that you never thought before. Um, you know, like egg donation or um, using a sperm donor or, you know, receiving donated embryos, adoption, everyone has their own kind of preconception on how they want to build their family. Nobody ever says, you know, as they're growing up, I want to go through IVF to build my family. Um, Some people do say, I do want to adopt, and that is an amazing process. But when you're faced with infertility and you have all of these options, you might not really truly understand all the options until you meet someone who has been, you know, has made a decision and, and built their family in a different way, and, it, and even living child-free. Um, we have support groups that have helped people understand that, you know, none of these options is going to be what's right for them, and they've found strength and empowerment and encouragement from others who live child-free. And that can be very freeing to someone who's suffered so much disappointment that they take that step and they say, I'm going to choose to live child-free. Um,
1: and connect with people or, who also have, have made that decision, you mm-hmm. know, that because then you, you have each other to go through it. Oh, when this happened, what? how did you handle it or whatever?
2: Right. And so the face-to-face connections all across the community are so valuable. Um, we host uh, awareness walks. Um, we have two types of awareness walks. We have uh, a signature walks of hope and they happen in eight cities around the country. And then we have people in their local communities who want to step up and help resolve and support Resolve's mission. And they host local community DIY walks. We call them. Mm -hmm. We have 10 happening this weekend. Wow. Um, And this is really a, a way for people to create what we say, create community around a cause. And, um, They connect with people. And then through our advocacy work, we really are empowering people to take charge of their infertility. And so we host a Hill Day on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where people come up and they talk to members of Congress about their personal stories. Uh, We have several bills in Congress right now uh, that will help federal employees gain access to IVF, um, our veterans gain access to IVF. There's a huge problem in the VA system and, and our active military that when someone is injured and the injury causes their infertility and they can no longer serve our country as active duty, they're mi- immediately transferred into the VA system. And the VA system up until last year didn't have any coverage for IVF. And that's wow. the only way that many of our servicemen and women can achieve parenthood. So there's a lot of issues, a lot of um, that affects so many different types of people in this country. And we, as an organization, that's the patient voice, bring everybody together in a multitude of ways, create community around this cause, and create change.
1: So you talk about support groups um, for the couples going through it. Um, Does some of this advocacy um, support the loved ones and friends and family of the people going through it? Because I was reading on on the Resolve website about etiquette, and of things you know how to how to help support your friend that's going through it and i have to be honest mm-hmm. i was reading some of the things not to say and i was like oh crap yeah cuz you said them <laughs> yeah cuz i said them <laughs> like relax it's going to work. You know, relax. I said, relax. That was like the number one thing that said not to say. And I said it, I know I I said it. Um, Don't ask why they're trying IVF. Don't know.
0: Don't ask. Don't ask why they are trying ivf do not no do not ask do not ask why they are not trying. Why they aren't trying.
1: Yeah. Like try to be the doctor for them. Oh God. Um, Don't complain about your pregnancy. That that contributes to what I was talking about earlier about being uncomfortable. Like, because I feel guilty that I was, I was pregnant and maybe my friend who I know was struggling with it. It it's so uncomfortable. I and I mean well um, to everyone that's going. You know, through it, you just don't know what to say. Uh, don't push adoption. Absolutely. So, our, right. does I, the, does the support groups involve like um, on the website uh, how to help the people that are friends with the people going through it?
2: I think that the support groups do, um, you know, every support group can be a little unique uh, based on the leader. And I know that some support groups invite others to, you know, you know bring your mom or bring your sister. Or, uh, we like to say, bring your fertile friend um, so they can <laughs> learn a little bit of something. But really, the support groups are for the people going through it. And we hope that they're getting tools to have the conversation open and honestly. And I, and I, and I know that I think people with infertility, they don't want to take anybody's joy away so, um, you know, you're talking before about baby showers and birthday parties and they don't want to take that joy away, but they're going to protect themselves and maybe start saying no and not going to those things because if they're open and honest and can share how they're feeling that they don't want to be there, that'll take some joy away from you if you're the one celebrating. And I don't think anybody with infertility wants to do that. Um, you know, it's, you listen to your friends when they say something like, you know, if you're in a big friend group and everyone's going to trying to get pregnant at the same time, and you know, you're the one struggling. I said to my friends, when it happens for you, can you just tell me first and then do your big announcement? However you want. I just, I needed that protection and I had friends that honored that and I had friends that didn't. And, but at least I knew I was protecting myself. Sure. Um, and you know, the baby shower, I never, I, didn't like baby showers. I didn't want them even when I achieved pregnancy, you know, because I knew how they made me feel. And so I would say to friends and family who has someone going through this, you know, just just listen to them, ask questions. Like you said, don't offer solutions. You're not the doctor. You're not in their shoes. Um, but empathy goes a long way.
0: I was going to ask about that because I, I do have a friend going through this, and every time I see her, I want to say, how are you doing? but I don't want to pry. It's not wrong to say, you know, say, how are you doing? Can I help? Is it?
2: No, I mean, I think it's like anybody who's struggling with something. Um, You know, if you have a friend going through cancer treatments, you know, always give them, this is how I, how I live my life. This is not maybe resolve advice, but I always say, um, may I do this for you? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Can I, you know, bring you a meal on Friday? Um, Or can I, take you to yoga. Mm-hmm. So because if you're asking them what you can do for them, they're going to be paralyzed and, and and not really feel comfortable saying what they really need. They just need you to, to make to take the first step and say, um, how about we go do this together and make it something that doesn't involve your kids if you have children or um, maybe not centered around, you know, where children are the focus. So like a yoga class or, sure. you know, go That's to adult focused restaurant or something well
1: Mother's Day is coming up that was another thing that um, was on the under etiquette was talking about remember that Mother's Day is painful for them with Mother's Day you know around the corner As somebody that's gone through it what what's a what's a good thing to do or how how could we treat or um, respect our friends that are going through this right now on that day
2: Um, I think you know on that day realize that they probably will if, you know, they're really in the depths of things, just not leave the house mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, you know, it's kind of the same same thing when if you have a close friend who maybe lost her mother recently, you know, kind of that if they're not in the mood to celebrate, it's okay. But maybe pick a day during National Fertility Awareness Week or mm-hmm. pick a day after um, Mother's Day and, you know, take her to get a pedicure or, you know, go for a long walk and don't talk about any of it unless they bring it up.
0: Rebecca, you mentioned that
2: you achieved
0: pregnancy. Do you, do you have kids? Can we celebrate something? Oh, sure. I
2: have um, an 11-year-old who's about to finish elementary school and head off to middle school, which is scary. We know. Um, and, I, <laughs> and he got his hair dyed green this weekend. <laughs> um, and I have a 4-year-old daughter who was um, the shock of our life. And and uh, we had in between um, in between those two, we had years of trying to pursue adoption. Uh, you mentioned that you know don't suggest adoption, and I can tell you, people say, "Oh, you should just adopt," and there is nothing just about it. Right. And the process is very hard. And um, I'm am amazed at people that that stay the course and finished the, the adoption journey. It just My husband and I went into it and some things happened and we decided to to stop. Um, and then we were um, blessed with our daughter unexpectedly. And, you know, infertility is a funny way of, of sneaking up on you because when I realized I was pregnant, I was angry. And I thought, oh, have I been a fraud all these years? And my um, president and CEO of Resolve, I've, she and I have worked together for 14 years now and she said, I've watched you struggle for almost a decade. You know, there there was nothing. You know, you you for ten years it took you to get pregnant one time. Right. So in all of those years of trying, I managed one pregnancy on my own and one pregnancy with IBS. And um, yeah. And I was I was angry, and it took me a little while to get over that. Um, but she's she is a joy. She is our our. You know, keeps you on your toes. You one volume, yeah, one volume and one speed. So, <laughs> well, congratulations though, because you Thank know, you. Um,
0: we as parenting podcasters, um, I think we would agree that there, there's nothing that we love more than than being moms. So, um, I'm happy to hear of your success.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for helping talk about it this week with it being National Infertility Week and um, your website uh, at Resolve. It has a lot of great resources for um, folks and we'll attach it to the podcast as well so that they can go and look up resources and um, that etiquette page or how to support your loved ones. That was the one that I particularly enjoyed reading because um, as somebody that has been successful. I do have friends that have not been so successful. And um, I think it's just good reading anyway, to to be a better person and a better friend or um, sister or brother. Yep. Yep. So Rebecca Flick, the Vice President of Communications and Programs for Resolve. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today and kind of talking through what this week is all about and um, how we can be supportive of our friends and family. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great day bye Cheers. So apparently infertility affects many more people than you might think, and we need to offer support and comfort to our friends who are struggling to get pregnant. This yeah. is a good week to, to think about it and reflect on it and check out the website. It really has some good... Gr- I mean, when I read that etiquette page, I was like, oh my God, I'm not kidding how many things I've... I know I've said.
0: You have, and like you a have dummy. No, yeah. You have no idea how what you say might land, right? Yeah.
1: You don't yeah. you don't know when you're not in those shoes. So um, it definitely gives you pause to read it and go, oh, OK,
0: yeah, Better, I'm going to
1: I'm going to say it differently next time. Right. So um, Monday morning quarterback, my conversations from like five
0: years ago, um, as as we do <laughs> quite a bit. Yes. yes. Um, so we'd love to hear from you about this. Does infertility affect you or um, what would you wish people would
1: know about it? What drives you crazy when you hear it from a friend, or what do you wish they knew about your struggles? Uh, if so, we'd love to hear from you if you'd share with us. You can check out our Facebook page or give us a call at 331 704
0: 0046 or email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann John Soakes. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening
1: to Apparently. We make it look
2: easy. We make it look easy. Everybody sees it